Welcome to the ministry of the International Christian Assembly in Southeast Spain. We are here for the purpose of worshipping God and reaching others with love. We pray that as you listen, you will be inspired and challenged in your walk with God. I'm sure when Elaine was reading that, you thought, wow, that's a pretty somber reading for the Lord's Day. Uh, you've had several weeks of studying in the book of Ruth, really positive stuff, and now here we are talking about the last days. And, you know, I think it's very important. Last things are very important. Last words, last thoughts. Uh, John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, his last words were this. The best of all is God is with us, Emmanuel. The best of all. Isn't that true? When John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace that we sang this morning, his last words, two things I know. I am a great sinner, and Jesus is a great Savior. Isn't that tremendous? You know? Voltaire, who spent a lot of his life opposing Christianity, was an atheist. It's purported that in his last days he said, one of the last things he said was, I've spent my life trying to disprove the existence of God, and now I'm afraid there is a God, and I'm not prepared to meet Him. So there is a serious note today, but it's not a note without hope. I think all of us, as we've got older, we have recognized that things are changing at an increasingly intense rate. Isn't that true? And the amount of change sometimes is very difficult to cope with. And so my thoughts have turned recently to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy are the last recorded words of the Apostle Paul. We're now around AD 67, 30 odd years after the ascension of the Lord Jesus. We're at a time when churches have been established in Asia Minor. We're at a time when Timothy is pastoring the church in Ephesus. We're at a time when he is a young pastor. He comes under intense pressure. Pressure from the outside persecution, and Paul deals with that in chapter 3, verse 12. In fact, he says, if anyone wants to live for Jesus, they're going to be persecuted. That's a stated fact. Jesus said it in John 15, verse 18. They hate me, they will hate you. Darkness will always react to light. Can I say that? Darkness will always try and quench light. And 2,000 years later, it's absolutely no different. Then there was treachery within it's interesting, one of the marks of the last days that Paul uh, notes in chapter 3 as we have it, he uses that same word that was used of Judas who betrayed the Savior. And so whenever he's writing to Timothy, it's a very personal letter, it's, it's, it's less formal. He talks about remembering Timothy's tears. The last time he saw him, he is reminded of Timothy's faith, and yet Timothy, who, whose name means one who honors God, is actually beginning to buckle under the pressure. He is timid. And so in chapter 
1 and verse 7, Paul says, God has not given us a spirit of timidity or fear, but of love, power and of love and of self-control. He is there to encourage Timothy that though things look dark on the outside and indeed treacherous on the inside, there is hope, there is an answer. God is still present. In chapter 2, verse 1, he says, so take your, your share of suffering in the power of God, the grace that is in Jesus Christ. So what are the last days? Let's just think about this just for a moment. And I'm just opening my Kindle. If you have a Bible and you want to follow it, we'll go to the next one. What are the marks of the last days? Let's think about the last days. Some people say, we're living in the last days. Well, I think that's true. But when did the last days start? I think many Christians sort of see the immediate present as the last days. But in actual fact, on the day of Pentecost, when the Apostle Peter stood up and he preached that wonderful message, as they communicated the gospel to different languages, Peter actually quoted Joel, and he said, this is a, a prophetic realization of what Joel said way back hundreds of years ago, that in the last days, God will pour out His Spirit upon all flesh. So the last days began when the Lord Jesus Christ ascended into heaven and sent the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1 says exactly the same thing. God in the past spoke at various times in various ways, but in these last days, He has spoken unto us through His Son. And it's interesting, again in Hebrews 1, 1, it's the aorist tense. It's, it's saying the aorist tense is, is something that happens once, and it is not repeated, but the effects of it ripple on. And so what, what the writer to Hebrews is actually saying is this. In the past, God had prophets. He spoke through those at various times. But now, Jesus is God's last word to the world. Why? Isn't that a thought? There is no new revelation. We're now in the last days. But as we know, one of the things that we're very aware of is that as two millennia have passed, since the coming of the Spirit and the ascension of Jesus, we realize that, that some of the things that Timothy was experiencing have, in fact, intensified. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop and try and share this with you. This is my thoughts. Just as it was when the Lord Jesus walked this earth, there was an outpouring of demonic activity, wasn't there? You think of the number of exorcisms that the Lord performed. I believe that as we approach that time when Jesus will return, so there will be an outpouring of demonic activity. There will be an outpouring of false teaching. Just as there was when the church was being established, so it will be as the time approaches for the Lord Jesus to come again. And so whenever we read this, I think we can see some of the I'm sure many of the things that we've actually seen in our reading coming to fact 
sorry, today. Let's just go, can we put up chapter 3, verses 1 to 6? So the Apostle Paul says to Timothy, but mark this, there will be terrible times. The ESV says difficult, it's not strong enough. Perilous, I think was the reading of the AV. There will be dangerous times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And so what do we actually see the mark of the last days is this. I've said misdirected love. That's the first mark. If we are commanded by God, the great commandment is to love the Lord our God with all our mind, with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength. Love our neighbor as ourselves. Then once that love gets misdirected, the consequences of that are actually been poured out in the last days. So, one of the marks of the last days is that people will be lovers of themselves. I think we'll start this, you talk to me because I'm a bit tired this morning so I can listen to you. Narcissism is the great mark of today. Isn't that true? Self-love. Where image, self-image is the thing that's all important in the cosmetic industry and we better not go into that surgeries that cost enormous prices for people want to look better because they love themselves. And the outcome of that, the outworking of that is that because they love themselves, they also love money. That's verse 2. Verse 3, not lovers of the good. Verse 4, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And that's the kind of world that we actually are living in and the outworking of that because love has been taken away from God, taken away from loving our neighbor, putting ourselves last, because we have this, this absolutely absorbed, self-absorbed world in which we live, what we're actually experiencing today in the outworking of that as people become more selfish we see them becoming moral chaos. They become what? Boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love. There it is. Unforgiving. And that word is a very interesting word. It means they are not willing to be reconciled. Some of the translation says unappeasable. Unforgiving. Slanderous. Without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, they are treacherous. There's that word again for Judas, betrayal. Rash, conceited. Do any of those things ring a bell? Can you watch your television? Can you watch the news? Can you read a newspaper if there's still such a thing? Without being conscious that that's exactly the kind of world that we live in. We live in a world of moral chaos, and it's going to increase. And I think because of misdirected love, 
and because of the moral chaos that there is, what we're actually seeing today is messed up relationships. We live in a broken world, don't we? And this is right there at the center of these works. First of all, look at family life. The very bedrock of society is family life. And notice how the devil has targeted family life, targeted children, targeted parents, targeted marriage, targeted everything under the sun so that children are disobedient, children are unruly, children are ungrateful, children are unholy. And so, as the devil gets our children, society is being transformed not by the grace of God and the Holy Spirit, but by the powers of darkness. How we need to pray for our children. Is that right? Amen? Messed up relationships. But what I'm going to say is let's go to the, the next one because this is really the answer. So what is Paul saying to Timothy he should be doing? Paul's charge to Timothy. Okay, Timothy, you're buckling under the pressure. Okay, Timothy, you are, you are fighting against false teachers. You're fighting, Paul says himself, you're fighting against people abandoning the faith. If you look at chapter 1, he says, Phagellus, Hermogenes, they left me. They deserted me. He says right at the end of the chapter, Demas being in love with this present world has forsaken me. He says about false teaching. He says about Philetus and Hymenus. They're spreading their, their false teaching. It's like gangrene within the church. But Timothy, what should you do? And this is what he says, keep your head. I think that's a tremendous thought. Just keep your head. Timothy, I want you to know this. That listen, thinking about the Titanic just now came into my head. The problem wasn't that the Titanic was in this massive ocean of water. The problem came when the water got into the ship and sunk it. And really, if you, I, I can take that illustration and just say this. The problem is that you and I live in a, a morass of sea of moral decay. The problem is whenever we allow that morass come into our lives or into the church. Does that make sense to you? And so what Paul is saying to Timothy is, Timothy, what you need to do is keep it out. You need to watch yourself. You need to guard your heart, guard the gospel. How do you do that? You do that in the power of God. You do that by the grace of God. You do that to the glory of God. And I just think it's like whenever he was in, in prison the first time in Philippians 4, where he says, Timothy, you can, he, he says to the Christians in Philippi, he says, you can do all things through Christ who gives you the strength. The pressure is great. You feel it? You feel it? The darkness is intense. But let me tell you this. God is greater than all the darkness. We need to remind ourselves of that. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me shall never walk in darkness, but shall have the light of of life. Paul is actually at a stage in his life where he's just about to be executed. 
for his faith. He says, when we get to chapter 4, he says, look, I've, 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 I've run the race. I've fought the good fight. I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord will award not only to me, but all who, what? Look to his appearing. Keep on keeping on. I have a friend, every time he texts me, at the end of the text, he'll say, keep looking up. What's the answer? What's the antidote to the mess around us? It's to look up to a God who has everything in control. It's to look up to a God who has everything under his feet, who is doing his work of building his kingdom, and the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. Well, I'm going to finish with this, and I think it's, a, it's one of the things that I absolutely love about this, this particular little book. As you come to the end of it, Paul talks about his departure. I've, you know, I've fought the good fight, finished the course, kept the faith. The time of my departure is at hand. Friends, I want to say this today. That, that word is a beautiful word. It's the word that is used whenever a ship has come in and has been in dry dock for a long time, being repaired, and suddenly the ropes are loosed and it goes out to sea. This world is in the work of sanctification, a work of God working in our hearts, repairing, taking the broken pieces and putting them back together. But the moment comes whenever all those ties are loosed and we go out into the sea of God's eternity. Isn't that a tremendous thought? It's a word that is used whenever the oxen that have been yoked together and they've been working hard in the field, and suddenly that comes the time of the day whenever the yoke is taken off and they're let go into pasture. You see, death for the Christian, according to the Word of God, is not the end. It's really the beginning, isn't it? Death for the Christian is not something. The process of dying, yes, not too keen about that, but death itself which is the separation of the soul from the body, death itself for the Christian where there is no separation from God. Death for the unbeliever is separation forever and ever, but death for the believer is into the immediate presence of Christ, with Christ which is far better. Isn't that a tremendous thought? I think we embrace the last days in the power of God, by the grace of God. Keep doing what we're doing. Preach the word in season. Witness. Let your light shine before men. And then look forward to a day when every wrong will be righted and every burden lifted. Every pain will go. You know what? Isn't this tremendous? Let me tell you something. Do you know in the new heaven and the new earth? There will be no medication, no hankies, no tears in heaven. Just think about this. 
No walking sticks. No aches and pains. No glasses. Perfect. You start thinking about it. You know, sometimes, even amongst God's people, what you find is there's this reluctance to think about death. But why? Whenever absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so even as we come to the end of Paul's life and the end of his last letter to Timothy, there's no note of pessimism. Paul says, I am waiting for the yoke to be broken. I want to be with Christ. I am waiting for those ties to be broken. I want to be with Christ. There's a lovely little thought right at the end of the book. It's in verse 21. He's saying to Timothy, there's three words. He says to Timothy, come before winter. I started thinking about that. I know he was talking physically. You know, if you do your best, Timothy, to come before, come before winter. One of the first, one of the first devotional books I ever had was Chuck Swindle, Charles Swindle's book, Growing Strong in the Seasons of Life. There is the spring. There is the summer. There is the autumn, the fall, there is the winter. Now, for many of us, we're in the winter of life. And if I could just use that symbolically for a moment, let's be sure that we have come before winter to the Lord. One of my spiritual heroes is Jim Elliot. Jim Elliot, if anyone's aware of his writings, Elizabeth Elliot's writings, Jim Elliot's got a journal that I've read, but Elizabeth Elliot threw gates of splendor under the shadow of the Almighty, one of my great heroes. Died in Christ, Indians, bringing the gospel to people. And one of the things that Jim Elliot said that really has stuck with me, he said this, when it comes to dying, make sure the only thing you have to do is die. Isn't that a tremendous word? When we were young, when people actually, children used to play out, do you remember that? Used to play outside. Do you remember that? Climb trees and build things. And very often the last thing your mother would say as you left, make sure you're home before dawn. Could I just say to you today, please, and none of us has any assurance of tomorrow, whatever it is you need to do spiritually, make sure that you know that your sins have been forgiven, that you have come to Jesus, that you have trusted Him and Him alone, that you know the joy of having your sins forgiven because of what He did. In that moment when He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As He bore our sins and His body on the tree, He was forsaken that we might never be forsaken by God. Make sure this morning, no matter how young you are, no matter how old you are, that you have come, that you've made it home before dark. Let's pray. Father God, in these moments we are just so grateful. We can't even express it adequately, Lord. Amazing grace the goodness of God, your patience and kindness, 
Lord, everything that we need for salvation is there before us. The table, the table is there. The broken body and the shed blood. Help each one of us in this gathering this morning to be sure that we have come to you before winter. Help us to know in our hearts right now that Jesus is Lord. Help us to confess with our lips that Jesus is our Savior. And help us, Lord, to live for you, to keep on keeping on. And may your love and light lead us every moment of every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the ministry of the International Christian Assembly, a ministry of AMG Spain and AMG International. For more information, please visit our website at www.icatorrevieja.org. This audio file is not copyrighted.